Open the Word of God with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I hope you meant the song we just sang a few minutes ago, Nearer My God to Thee. The first verse was about martyrs singing that song. Though it be a cross that would raise me to be closer to God, so be it. If that's what it takes to get me close to the Lord, let it be a cross. Verses 2 through 4 were about Jacob and the wanderer that had to leave home. And he found the Lord on a, a pillow of stone. And he woke up in the morning and poured oil on that stone and called it Bethel, the house of God. Because during the night he had a vision from the Lord of that, a ladder extending from him to heaven with angels coming up and down it. That's exactly how we want our lives to be. If we had x-ray vision of a spiritual sort and could see the things that Jacob saw by vision, we would see a ladder extending up to heaven with his angels coming down and ascending in our lives. That the Lord was with us and the Lord was with him. Though he had nothing to speak of, the Lord was with him and made him very great. And so then we sang in the fifth verse, Though with joyful wing we cleave this sky and angels haul us out of here, nearer my God to thee. Amen. Should be our prayer. First Samuel chapter 1 describes a woman named Hannah and her desire for a son, and she gets Samuel. First Samuel chapter 2 describes Hannah's prayer, and she has given Samuel to the Lord, and he is in Shiloh with Eli the priest. He's worshiping the Lord there, and the Lord appears to Eli and tells him about his wicked sons. 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Lord appears to Samuel and tells Samuel that he is going to destroy Eli and his entire family tree for not killing his sons. Because he only warned them, he did not restrain them from their wickedness. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Philistines come against Israel, and Israel, under the wicked sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. The Philistines hear about this event and shout in great distress that they are in trouble because the Ark of Jehovah is going to be on the battlefield. But the Philistines defeated Israel that day in a great slaughter. And the two sons of Eli were killed. Since Eli wouldn't do it, the Lord did do it. And the Ark of the Covenant was taken. That special five-foot box of gold with the cherubim over it, where God met with Israel, was taken. God had chosen to dwell symbolically in Israel over the Ark of the Covenant. That little five-foot box had cherubim on the top of it with their wings outstretched facing each other. And in that spot, which was called the mercy seat, because that's what we need to meet God, is mercy. That spot above the mercy seat between the cherubim is where God would meet with Moses and with his high priests once a year. It's where God dwelt symbolically representing his place on earth in his church. And the little room that it was in was called the Holy of Holies because that's where the thrice holy God was. This God that we worship was described in the Bible like when David moved this little box as the God that dwelleth between the cherubim because that is the spot where he dwelt. Well, Israel, thinking they could haul their religious relic into battle, like Catholics do when they haul their ensigns and flags and incense around, think that relics bring the presence of God, they lost in a great slaughter. And here are the verses that I want you to remember. 1 Samuel chapter 4. A wife of one of those priests, Phinehas's wife. Phinehas and Hophni were the two sons of Eli who died in battle. 
she was very pregnant and she goes into labor when she hears the news that her husband is dead, her brother-in-law is dead, the ark has been taken, and when Eli heard the news, being an old man and a heavy man, he fell off a stone and broke his neck. So the high priest was dead, her husband dead, her brother-in-law dead, and the ark taken. 1 Samuel 4 and verse 19, And his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod. Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Ichabod, the glory of God has left us. Ichabod, the glory of God has left us. It can happen to a man. It can happen to a family. It can happen to a church. This is the church of God of the Old Testament, and it happened to them. In Psalm 78, where this event is described, it tells us about the glory of God departing from Israel. Ichabod, the glory is departed. Where do you stand about the presence of God personally? Where does our church stand relative to God's presence? We need to ask. We need to repent. We need to beg God not to take his spirit from us like David prayed. We need to beg God not to take his candlestick from us, which is the New Testament symbolic presence of God the Holy Spirit with his churches. Jeremiah 23 tells us that God fills heaven and earth. So he's in the parking lot and he's here. So he's in St. Mary's downtown and he's here. But we're not talking about his omnipresence of being everywhere. We are talking about his fellowship with men. We are talking about him walking with men. We're talking about him delighting in men. We're talking about his power with men. And we're talking about his further revelation to men. Those are the things we want. And those are the things that we can lose. If God is taken from us, or if God leaves us, or if God deserts us. Never forget the word Ichabod and the name Ichabod. The the word means exactly what the scriptures tell us. The glory has departed. Your life, no matter how nice your house, the size of your bank account, your title on the job, the prettiness or the handsomeness of your spouse, all of that is irrelevant and your life is a total joke. It is worse than a miscarriage, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, if the glory of God is not in your life. If Ichabod has happened to you personally, if Ichabod happens to us as a church, or as my brother just prayed, if Ichabod has already happened to us as a church, we are nothing. This effort is total vanity and folly. We want to have a repentant heart. We want to have a broken and a contrite spirit, and we want to beg God not to leave us. And if he has left us, to come back to us. He comes back so easily, so willing, contrary to every concept that you and I have about forgiveness. He is different. When the Bible says that his ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts, like heaven is higher than the earth, it's talking about his forgiveness and how he will abundantly pardon those that turn to him. 
I hope you saw that last night, especially in Jeremiah chapter 3, where Jeremiah said, if a woman leaves a man and is married to another man, can she come back to the first man? What an abominable thought for you to even think of that. And that's another subject for another time because it deals with the sexual relationship between men and women and how the woman was made for the man for her to have one man go to a second man, come back to the first man for purposes of comparison. It's an abomination in the sight of God. And so Jeremiah 3 says it's an abominable idea. Nevertheless, I will take you back. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The infinitely holy God will take us back. He says, I'm still married to you. If you'll come back to me, I'll embrace you again. Come back to me. Please come back to me. What a God we worship. So while it's sober, brethren, it's sober, but there's great hope no matter where we stand. And you know what we believe. We believe that we have our candlestick. But oh, let us be careful about it. Let us be cautious about it. Let us be very sober about it. Ichabod. Yes. Ichabod. The glory is departed from Israel because the presence of God symbolically represented had left them and God hadn't protected his box. Oh, when Israel was serving the Lord, do you think the Philistines could have touched the Ark of the Covenant? No. They had enough trouble as it was when God had left Israel. Because the next two chapters tell us about the hemorrhoids the entire nation of Israel got and the mice that ran rampant, that the nation of the Philistines got, and that the mice ran rampant throughout Philistia so that there was disease spread, disease spread far and wide and they were all scratching their secret places. This is what the Bible says because they took the Ark of the Covenant. And to make peace with the God of that ark, they had to get themselves a craftsman to make five golden hemorrhoids and send it back as a gift to Israel. Now that's the Bible. That's the God I worship. I love everything about him. Everything. I love 1 Samuel 5 and 6, emeralds and mice. And I love 1 Samuel 4 that tells us Ichabod. And I love 1 Samuel 2 and 3 where the Lord tells us because he told his sons, he rebuked his sons, but he didn't restrain his sons. There's severe action parents should take and ministers should take about sinners. And so it's all there in 1 Samuel. Let's, let's think a little bit about the presence of God. In the Garden of Eden, God would come down and walk in the cool of the evening with Adam. Does that sound decent? But Adam and Eve sinned, so God drove Adam out of the garden. He didn't lead him out. He didn't suggest he leave. He drove him out of that garden. And I can remember Bible story pictures of Adam and Eve in their coats of skin. The coats didn't mean a thing except ceremonial, I won't kill you right now. That's all that they meant. They wasn't, he wasn't forgiven. He was covered ceremonially, just like all the blood sacrifices of Israel didn't wash away one single sin at any time of any person. It only covered them ceremonially so that God wouldn't kill them on the spot. And so they had to repeat those sacrifices over and over. But I can remember the pictures. Does my brother remember the pictures of them with their arms up over their heads running out of the Garden of Eden? God wasn't begging him to stay. God didn't want him around. God drove Adam out of the garden and away from his presence. And the presence of God then was located at the Garden of Eden. Cain, after he killed his brother, Abel. And God cursed him. He said he went out from the presence of the Lord. He left and traveled east, away from the presence of God. In the day, in chapter 4 of Genesis, in the days of Seth and Enos, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So they were wanting his presence back in the elect line coming through Abel's replacement, which was Seth. Because Eve said, I have gotten a son from the Lord to replace Abel that Cain killed. 
and his son was named Enos, and men began to call upon the name of the Lord. We go to chapter 5 of Genesis, and Enoch walked with God. What a relationship. It's described as walking with God for how long? 300 years after the birth of his son, he walked with God, and then the Lord took him in the 365th year of his life. He walked with God. My desire as your pastor is for each of you to walk with God like Enoch. I am not waiting with bated breath that God just might translate you in one of our services, though we would enjoy it if it were to happen. And I want to walk with God. But Enoch was special. He was, he was very unusual. He was a statistical anomaly. That's why he's in the Bible. That's why he made Hebrews chapter 11. Because Hebrews 11.6, which you know, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The previous verse is, by faith Enoch walked with God, for he had this testimony that he pleased God. How do we get God to walk with us? Our lives please God. And you heard a lot about that last Sunday when you heard a triple tag team about David. Because we want to be like David so that we can walk with God because David pleased God. God delighted in David, and we want to have that kind of a relationship with God. Noah walked with God. Did it benefit him? Did it benefit Noah that he walked with God? Amen. He saved his whole family from the flood. Right. We don't read one good thing about Mrs. Noah, about his three sons, or about their three wives. We read that Noah saved his family in the ark in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. Abraham walked with God. Look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. And the first verse, you know, Abraham is called the friend of God. Now, is that a man that's walking with God? Is, a, is the friend of God a man that God is close to? Indeed, the friend of God. He's called the father of the faithful. So we should emulate his faith in our lives. And here's Joey's favorite verse, Genesis 15, 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Amen. That's, what, that's the reward you, you want in life. You don't want some promotion compared to this reward, this reward. This is our exceeding great reward that I'm your God. And I'm your shield and I'm your protector. And so that was Abraham. We have already mentioned Jacob, and we sang about Jacob in verses 2 through 4 of that song, Nearer My God to Thee. Those verses are about Jacob, the wanderer. Moses didn't want to go anywhere without God's presence. I hope you enjoyed Exodus 33 last evening. If you won't go with us, we're not going up. We are not going to the land of Canaan without you with us. You say, that's bold. To tell the Lord we're not going to do anything without him? That's boldness we love in this church. Let's tell the Lord we're not going to do anything without him. He'll come to us. When we tell him that we can't do anything, we don't want to do anything, we don't enjoy life without him, he loves that kind of worship. Amen. And he will come to us. Remember, Jacob was so bold that Jacob said, when the angel of the Lord, which was the Lord which looked like a man, said, it's morning, let me go. He had wrestled with this man all night. He had wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. He had wrestled with the Lord all night. I keep saying all three because I'm trying to explain the Bible to you. Don't get confused by the Bible. All three are the same. It looked like a man, and it was the angel of the Lord representing the Lord. That's how all three were there wrestling with him. And people get confused about that because they find in one place it was an angel, another place it was God, and another place it was a man, it was all three. Right. D, all of the above, is the answer. <laughs> but 
But you know what? The, the, the angel, the Lord said, it's morning. Let me go. Oh, don't you love Jacob? I will not let you go until you bless me. Right. Let's be that way as a church. Right. Let's be that way as men for our wives and for our families. I will not let you go until you bless me. Let's beg the Lord in just a few minutes for our church that he will not leave us and that he will be with us and he will increase his presence with us. Let's be like Elisha. When Elijah was about to be carried into heaven, Elijah said to his successor, what can I do for you before I go? And Elisha said, I'd like twice your spirit. Now that was a hard thing. And Elijah said it was a hard thing. Elisha, come on. I thought you were going to ask for a new chariot or something. But to have twice my spirit, Elijah was the spirited prophet of Israel. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was a very spirited man. But Elisha said, I want twice your spirit. And Elijah said, you've asked a hard thing, but I'm about to be carried by angels into heaven. And if you see me go, the Lord's going to give you your prayer request. And you know what, you know what the passage says? Elisha saw him go. And so Elisha knew that he had twice the power of Elijah. And so he picked up the mantle that fell. The chariot was going too fast, and the wind blew off the mantle. And so Elisha picked up the mantle, came back to the Jordan River, because Elijah had got them across that river dry. He took that mantle, and he smote the waters, and he said, Where's the God of Elijah? And the waters separated again. And Elisha went across. And remember, Elijah could raise the dead while Elijah was living. Elisha raised the dead when he was dead. Elisha raised the dead man when Elisha was dead. Elisha was dead and at the bottom of a tomb, a bottom of a hole, a pit. And when a dead soldier was tossed in there and he landed on Elisha's bones, boom, came back to life. It's only one verse in your Bible. You better read your Bible carefully. We want to pray for that. Amen. The Lord loves boldness. And so I'm preaching this sermon, which is sober. It's scary. I haven't got to the scary part yet. I'm just telling you about the importance of having God's presence, the blessing of having God's presence. Moses didn't want to go anywhere without God's presence. Joshua didn't want to leave the tabernacle where God came down and met with Moses. Did you see that last night in Exodus chapter 11? Asa led a national revival. And do you know what the special words were in that chapter? In 2 Chronicles 15, all that reading you had to do, you're saying, why did he make us read this whole thing? Because they made a covenant to seek the Lord, and he was found of them. Right. And he was found of them. When you hit those words in 2 Chronicles 15, I'm not turning you there for time. He was found of them. He can be found of us. We have an advantage over Asa. We have the Lord Jesus Christ at God's right hand. And we want the presence of God in our lives. We want him walking with us. We want him speaking to us face to face, as it were, out of his word, by his spirit. Lord, help us. Look at the blessings in these men's lives. David loved the presence of God. And David knew God was always with him. Some of you have got up in this pulpit and shared Psalm 139 with us. It's more than one. Joel, I'm thinking about you. Joel, you have a great name. It's only four letters long. What does J-O stand for? Jehovah. What does E-L stand for? Elohim. Jehovah is my God. You have a great name. You got up and told us about Psalm 139 and the blessings of that chapter, comforting David, not frightening David, comforting David, that God was always with him, that he couldn't go anywhere when God wasn't with him. So God was with him in Ziklag. God was with him in the woods. God was with him in Shiloh. God was with him in Jebus, which became known as Jerusalem. God was with him. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? That's the dilemma we want to be in. We can't get away from him. 
That's what we want as a church. Because He's so much with us, and He loves us so much. Oh, and I, you know I could multiply witnesses about David, but we pass on. There's nothing better on earth than God with you. Look at Psalm 73, and though it's a psalm, it's not David. It's Asaph. Psalm 73, these are verses that you ought to know well. Psalm 73, it doesn't matter who leaves you. It doesn't matter what happens about people and circumstances and situation, situations in your life. Is God with you? Is God with you? That's the question. Psalm 73, verse 25. Well, let's get verse 23 as well. Nevertheless, Asaph is speaking about his spiritual backsliding and discouragement in verses 1 through 22. He was as dumb and foolish and ignorant as a beast. That's how he summed it up in verse 22. Verse 23, nevertheless, though I had a bad month, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever." That's, our, that's, the, that's the attitude. You know, people like to talk about, I can't wait to get to heaven to see my mama. Or something. That, that's okay. You know, I think you all know my mother's there. And, and I look forward to seeing her. But, you know, these kind of verses mean more to me than going to heaven to see my mother. But I want to I give you the balance of Scripture. See, see, I would err into this ditch, that this is the only way to view it. But the Bible tells me, that when Abraham died and was buried, and when Isaac died and was buried, and when Jacob died and was buried, what does it say? He was gathered to his people. There's a family reunion going on in heaven. I'm looking forward to being part of that family reunion. So there's the balance. And we want the crown of the road. We don't want to err into any ditch and overlook the other half, so I just gave you both. But while we're on earth, the Lord is continually with us, he holds us by his right hand. He guides us with his counsel. Afterward, he's going to receive us to glory. Is there anyone else that matters? Not really. And there it is. And see, if we have that kind of an attitude, the Lord's with us. Asaph, you know, he got, he got all the cobwebs cleared away. He came back into church on Sunday and said, I have had one bad week. I have thought some terrible thoughts. If I were to actually say what I've been thinking... It says that in here, if I were to actually verbalize what I've been thinking, everybody would throw me out as a heretic. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I was like a beast. Are you able to do that? What man's going to stand up here with me after this service in just a few minutes? I know it's a few minutes of a few minutes. But who's going to stand up here and say, we've been beasts because we haven't put you first in our lives and we've been discouraged by the little things of this life? We've envied the wicked in their prosperity. We've thought that it was vain for us to serve you. We've been like an animal. Forgive us and give us your presence. Take us by your right hand. Guide us with your counsel. Receive us to glory in a few years, Lord, because you're all that matters to us. This church isn't about personalities. It's not about programs. It's not about any of that junk. It's about the presence of the Lord, if you want another P word. David and Solomon's temple. Do you know what kind of efforts and costs they put into that temple? And only one thing mattered. And you better be careful when you read the book of Psalms. Which Psalms pertain to a little box being picked up and hauled from a tent and put in the holy of holies of the temple? I'm not going to chase it right now, but I'll give you a few hints. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. I want the King of glory in this church. Amen. I want it in your lives. I want it in my life. I actually want it in your lives first. I want it in my life first to show you. I want the King of glory to come in. Amen. The priest couldn't minister 
Because the king of glory had come into that temple. Right. And the glory of God filled the house so that the priests couldn't minister. Amen. And Solomon's prayer is just spectacular about how the Lord would dwell in thick darkness and the heaven of heavens can't contain the Lord. What's he doing in the house that I've built for him? How can we imagine the Lord of glory being in our little humble assembly with us little poor people of the earth? Because he loves the poor people of the earth. I've got to turn away from all these examples. It doesn't end. It goes right on through the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1. These things write we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You and I can have fellowship with the apostles, the Father, and the Son on earth right now. By walking in the light as he is in the light. If we're living holy lives, so I'm already giving you rules. If we're living a holy life, he will come and have fellowship with us. Right. How about the danger of Ichabod? The danger of losing God's presence. Let me give you a few. Joshua marched his nation around the city of Jericho. According to God's commandments, it fell flat. They took the city. But there was one sinner, Achan. One sinner, Achan, stole some stuff, hid it in his tent. The next city in the military planning manual, was Ai. Oh, we don't need to take the whole army. We only need to take a few. Since the Lord's with us, this will be easy. So they went up to Ai and got beat badly and ran like scared little children from Ai, and 36 men were killed. Why? Because there was an Achan in the camp. Right. So we as a church need to make sure that we're helping each other, warning, warning the unruly, comforting the feeble-minded, supporting the weak, encouraging each other in the Lord that we don't have any Achans. When the Lord shows us an Achan, we'll do with that Achan like we've done with the 110 before. Israel lost God's glorious presence when the Philistines took that ark. Samson lost God's presence and God's power by his sin and didn't even know it. The Bible says he wist not that the Lord wasn't with him. What gave him the power to do what he did? What does the Bible say? And the came upon him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Because when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man, or the Spirit of the Lord comes into a man, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a church, into a church, things happen. Like Pentecost happens. And like Samson happened. But Samson couldn't tell the difference. Sin is deceiving. And we, 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 we think too highly of ourselves in our relationship with God so that Samson woke up as Delilah said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. I'll go out like at other times. And no, he didn't go out like at other times. He was weak. They easily bound him and tortured him for the rest of his earthly life. Look at 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16 I haven't turned you to very many places because I have referred to them to keep us moving quickly. But look at 1 Samuel 16. And I want you to see a transaction of God by his spirit that is terrible in one dir direction and terrific in the other direction all at once. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Is that a reversal of fortune? Can that happen to you? Hey. Have you ever seen this happen to anyone? This is terrible. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. But the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. Saul could have had the dynasty of Israel. God told him he could have had the dynasty. He lost the dynasty. 
He was destroyed because of sin. And his sins, when you read about them, in chapters 13 and 15, are not all that great, we would think. But God is stricter than we are. So let's be strict about our lives. Let's not have this happen. Where the Spirit left Saul and went to David. And what a difference that made. And there wasn't just a vacuum in Saul. God sent evil spirits on Saul that made him melancholy, that made him negative, that made him moody, that made him critical, cynical. It destroyed him. It ate him up from the inside out before he had the pleasure of dying. It's my God. We tremble before him, but he's also our father. And all he says is, I'm still married to you. Will you come back to me? So we go running back. Lord, we've played the whore. We've loved this world. Somebody will say, your, your, your language is too strong. You need to read the Bible. Right, right. From beginning to end, playing around with the world is called whoredom, harlotry, and spiritual adultery. And it gets far more graphic than I'm saying right now. I mean, it gets far more graphic right. in entire chapters describing sexual activities and sexual organs. So mark your calendars on how discreet I am and what a sissy I am when I'm in the pulpit. We need to go to the Lord. We need to run to the Lord and say, I've been unfaithful. My mind, is, my mind has been trapped in the things of the world for a little while. Lord, forgive me, and he'll forgive us. That's the wonderful thing about our Father in heaven. He forgives so much better than we do in forgiving each other. Look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. You know, this morning I gave you as I opened this service, Matthew 21 and 23 and 27, about Israel. What a terrible thing happened to them. It was God's house. It was God's house all the way through Matthew 21. My house. Matthew 23, it's your house. God had left it. For 40 years, though, they didn't know it. They thought that it was still God's house. They, they were so confident that God was with them, they could kill all these apostles and their followers that believed in some Jesus of Nazareth being the Messiah. That's incredible blindness. Incredible darkness. Incredible false confidence that God was with them. We want to measure ourselves by our love of God. Our delight in him. The things that you heard last Sunday. There's one of them. Where's your tag team partner? Oh, there he is. Oh, he's six foot six and 220 pounds and I can't see him. That's how bad my eyes are. David, I loved you two guys following the, the guy down there, Zach, and the effort about David. We want that. We want to delight in the Lord so that he loves being with us. And David was a man after God's own heart, and you young men did such a great job, and by that I mean all three of you. Look at Isaiah 63, verse 7. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. Do you want the presence of God like that in your life? Isaiah 63, 7. Do we want the presence of God like that in our church? Yes, Lord, yes. For he said in verse 8, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. Look at how he looks at us. They'd never lie to me. They'd never be hypocrites. So he was their Savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. Amen. That is wonderful. Amen. But an inspired disjunctive. Here is something that is very opposite. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Right. Think about Israel. They murdered the Lord Jesus Christ, and they just kept right on offering their sacrifices, thinking that God was with them and that God was pleased. 
but God had turned to be their enemy and God leveled that nation and tore that temple down to the ground and didn't leave two stones attached to each other in his fury against that nation, though they thought he was with them. I cannot take the time, but you ought to go to the last five verses of the book of Daniel. The last five, they're tricky, but the Lord's shown us the answer to them. The last five, it says, He that maketh it to the 1290th day, and he that maketh it to the three, the 1335th day. What in the world do these extra 45 days mean? It means because Israel was all walled up by the Roman armies, they kept offering their morning sacrifice and their evening sacrifice and the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice while they were starving to death. And then they ran out of lambs for the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. And God gave them 45 days to think about what was going to happen to them for not offering a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice before Titus and his armies overwhelmed that fortress and burned that city to the ground. But they thought they had the Lord till they ran out of lambs. And all of a sudden, just like Pharaoh in the midst of the Red Sea, it wasn't enough for Pharaoh to drown. Our God, my God, wanted Pharaoh to know he was about to drown. And that he was dealing with a great, angry God. But he's our father. We don't ever want to lose his presence. Like Israel lost his presence. Look at Revelation chapter 2. Let's get right over here to the end of the Bible. It doesn't change. God's presence was in the Garden of Eden. God's presence is now in his churches. Symbolically represented by a candlestick. I don't have time to go into all the verses about that candlestick, but the candlestick represents the presence of God. If you look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, this is a picture of God's throne in heaven. Revelation 4, 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps. That's a candlestick of fire. That's a candlestick burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Just very quickly telling you that, then looking back at chapter 1 and verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, that is, their pastors, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Not their buildings, not their assemblies, God's presence with them that made them a church, that made them his temple by God being there. If God's not there, it's just a carcass. It's just a, it's, it's nothing but an emptiness. It's emptiness, it's vanity if God's not there. Revelation chapter 2, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking because it should be in the red writing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2 about many good things, the church at Ephesus. Paul started the church. Paul stayed with the church for over two years. Paul wrote an epistle to the church. Paul sent ministers to this church that you can read about in the New Testament. He lists their good things. Jesus does. He says in verse 3, some more good things. In verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. In spite of all those good things, There is something definitely wrong with the church at Ephesus. You do not love me like you once loved me. You do not love me wide open, pedal to the metal, like you once loved me. And that is enough to turn the Lord off because he's God and he deserves all our love. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Go back and remember what it was like when you loved me most of all. And how far you've fallen from that, number one. Number two, repent. Number three, do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee. I will come unto thee slowly. I'll take generations. No, I will come unto thee quickly. I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place. His place. Does that pronoun mean anything to you? Does that male singular pronoun mean anything to you? That's God the Holy Spirit in that church. I'll remove him, him, out of your church. That's why I do not like you referring to the Holy Spirit as it, because the Holy Spirit is not it. The Holy Spirit is him. And it's places like this that we need to remember that. Do you know how important Genesis 3.15 is? When it told Satan 
that I will make great enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his. And we go off, don't we? We go off on Genesis 3.15. Make sure you go off on Revelation 2.5 to understand what these torches, candlesticks, lamps are before the Lord. It's his presence. It's God's presence was going to get jerked out of the church at Ephesus. And the historical evidence for that church is so pitiful. Men have written about it for 2,000 years. What in the world happened to the church at Ephesus? The men that have gone to that city and couldn't find any Christianity at all. The danger. This is Ichabod of the New Testament. Ichabod! Candlestick taken away. Oh yeah, we just keep coming to church. Ephesus wouldn't have known the difference. They'd have kept trying false apostles and proving that they were liars. They'd have kept up their doctrine. They'd have kept up their works. But their passion for Jesus Christ was gone. When I preached to you a few years ago, the higher ground that we needed in this church, what was number one? It shouldn't be. Is that hard for you to remember that? Christ-centered. Because we better be passionate about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. That has its place. But we want to be right there. It means a a flunked church. It has its place. Flunked churches have the doctrine. But no flunked churches have the passion for Christ if they're even trying with the doctrine, because he'll show them the doctrine if they have the passion for him. So we want passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we look at the same chapter, Pergamos. Look what it says in verse 14. I have a few things against thee. Revelation 2.14. Where are we in this list? I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent! or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. We do not want the Lord Jesus Christ in our church fighting against heretics that we haven't taken care of, that we should have taken care of. That's Pergamos. How about the next church? After Pergamos, we come down to Thyatira in verse 20. Notwithstanding. What does that word mean? In spite of all the good things about you, I have some problems. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. That is sober. This is Jesus speaking to his churches. Jesus doesn't go around all the time just saying, I love you. I love you just the way you are. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Ichabod, Old Testament, the glories departed. Ichabod, the New Testament. Jesus Christ has to come into a church and fight with the spirit of his mouth and kill members. Lord, help us. Have mercy upon us. It's exactly what he did against Israel when he turned to be their enemy in Isaiah 63. You know, Thyatira is the one we just looked at. Then there's Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Notice there's another cross-reference proving that the seven candlesticks are the seven spirits of God because they're not mentioned what the seven stars are. I'm trying to teach you your Bible as we rush through. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. When we start thinking that we're something special as a church and we're dead, be watchful. And so that's what I'm preaching to you right now. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Let's make sure we're holding everything God's taught us. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. 
This is the warning of God's word. This is the red writing. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his churches, and he sent me to speak to you today this way. And I've been on a chain till I could get here, though chained up to Ecclesiastes, because this is what we need to be reminded of. And we're going to beg the Lord here momentarily. You know, the end of this chapter is the church at Laodicea. They were lukewarm, so the Lord was going to spew them out of his mouth. Do you like these kind of words? I'm going to take the candlestick away. I'm going to come and fight against you. I'm going to come like a thief. I'm going to kill church members. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because a lukewarm church makes me sick. I wish you were either hot or cold. So, brethren, let's be like David. Let's do something exceeding magnificent for the Lord. Let's get excited about the Lord individually as families. Every head of household in here... Every head of household, you are responsible for yourself, you're responsible for your spouse, you're responsible for your children, you're responsible for your grandchildren. What happened to David's sons? Solomon! Solomon! What happened to Solomon's son? Rehoboam was worse than Solomon. Lord, have mercy upon us. Every head of household, are you going to take the reins of your household and take charge of your household? And your family is not only going to obey God, pray to God, read God's word, but you're going to love God. You're going to delight in God. You're going to walk with God. He is going to be your everything. He's going to be your joy, your pleasure, your power. How do we get him back? We repent. Repentance can reconcile the offended husband. And you read it last night in Jeremiah chapter 3. Look at Revelation, since your revelation, look at chapter 3 and verse 19. All those hard words to the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. You know, there are many commentators that believe these seven churches represent seven church ages, but they can't, they just all guess at which section of the last 2,000 years each one of these churches applies to, so I don't do it because the Bible doesn't tell me to do it. But if there was a church that looks like 21st century America, it's the church at Laodicea because they're lukewarm. We don't want to be lukewarm. But here's the solution. You know, the solution back at church at Ephesus was, remember, repent, do the first works. And that's what we need to do. This this isn't complicated. We don't want an Ichabod. We don't want an Ichabod in you, Kelly. We don't want an Ichabod in our families. We don't want an Ichabod in our church. So how do we avoid it? Remember what it used to be like when we really loved him. Repent that it's not like that right now and do those first works again. Joel, we stood in a church parking lot. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're about ready to blow your skin out. Remember, repent, do the first works. Right here, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Oh, that's comforting. A message like this is his love. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Let's be zealous about it. Let's clean up our lives. Let's beg for the Lord not to leave us. Ask for him. Psalm 27, verses 7 through 9. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, O Lord, thy face will I seek. Let's ask for him. He will come. If we search for him with our whole heart, the Bible says he will be found. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 and other places as well. But let's ask fervently. Did you read last night in Jeremiah chapter 3 that Judah has repented and come after me? An F word. Feignedly. Oh, no, no, no. Feignedly. Let's not do it feignedly with the Lord. Let's beg for him to stay with us, to come to us in greater measure than he ever has before. Can he come in a greater measure? Didn't we learn that from John? Chapter 14, verses 21 through 23, that God can reveal himself and show his love to us more and more and more. We want that from him. We want to ask boldly, like I've already shared about Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. And like Elisha, give me double spirit of Elijah. We want to draw nigh to him. By the stated means and measures of James chapter 4 and other places, Isaiah 58 tells us if we'll clean up our lives, 
just clean up our lives in the simple, basic necessities of charity toward others, brotherly love, faithfulness to God, keeping his ordinances, he will say to us, oh, you don't know it? Don't make me preach it to you again. Isaiah 58, what does it say? What will God say to us when we clean up our lives? Here I am. Oh, the Lord of heaven saying to us, here I am. Beautiful. Beautiful. Seek him diligently because lukewarm doesn't work. Because he's holy, we want to be holy in all parts of our lives. And let's wait for him because he's not bound to come rushing to us in one minute. But remember, he does receive sinners gladly. Jesus gave those step-by-step instructions to the church at Ephesus, and we should remember them. I've taught them to you many times. Look at, Jer- look at Job 33 with me. I'm wrapping it up. Job 33. Look at, look at this passage that I've shown to you that I believe is the most thorough, short version of repentance in the Bible. You know, we, we love First John 1, 9 because it's short. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that verse enough to say that if we do it, God's going to be back with us? It is. It's implied. But I've shown you Job 33 goes a little bit higher, a little bit deeper, a little bit broader, a little more specific in confessing sins. Look at verse 27. He looketh upon men. God looks on us. And if any say, Job 33, 27, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Do you think God's presence is back with that person? Indeed. But let me give you verse 26 so that we get the whole context. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy, for he will render unto man his righteousness. If we repent and turn to God, we have Job 33, 26 through 28 to comfort us. Loving God and Jesus Christ by affection and obedience which we learn in John chapters 14, 15, and 16 is the way for him to come back. For us to beg God not to take his Holy Spirit from us is David's method. Remember all the prayers for the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. Two in each chapter, six chapters, 12 references of Paul telling that church that they needed more of the Holy Ghost. And then we find Revelation 2 about that church And then we find history telling us they blew it. They lost it from all that we know about the church at Ephesus. As seven churches of Asia, we need to be overcomers. And we need to raise our church up to the higher ground that was preached to you. We want to walk in the light as he is in the light, which is a holy life. We don't want to slight, grieve, or quench the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve him as a person. We don't want to quench him as a fire. We want him in this church bursting forth in all flaming power and presence of God by our delight in him and our holy living and our craving of his presence with us. He hears it. He sees it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. These are the things we want to do. We want to keep the right reason. We do not want to set ourselves as being different about the holidays of the world, the holidays of the Roman Catholic Church, and things like that just to be different. That's ridiculous. We don't want to just be different. We want to do it because God said to do it, and why God said to do it. And what I want to share with you is, as I wrap this thing up right now, is I want you to see that there's reasons why we do things, and we want to keep our church strict We want to keep our families strict and our lives strict. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So we won't do that. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? There isn't any. And what communion hath light with darkness? There isn't any. And what concord hath Christ with Belial or the devil? There isn't any. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? There isn't any. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? There isn't any. And this is the temple of God. 
And we want to cut off any desecrating, <coughs> distracting, tainting spots of sin in worship or practice. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, now look at this, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Last part of verse 17, and I will receive you. Verse 18, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Lord God Almighty that I have preached to you today, that we have prayed to today, this God will come and fulfill those seven promises to us. Like he promised Israel of old, but it's better in the New Testament. Not only is he with us, he's in us by the power of his spirit. Look at those seven, the middle of verse 16. I will dwell in them, number one. Number two, I will walk in them. Do you want God to walk with our church? Number three, I will be their God. Number four, they shall be my people. Number five, at the end of verse 17, I will receive you. Number six, in eight, verse 18, I'll be a father to you. Number seven, ye shall be my sons and daughters. What's in the middle that I've overlooked? Verse 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Right. That is why we're different. Because we want the Lord's presence with us. We want to be his children that please him. We want him to be our father. We want him to dwell with us. And so, look at the first verse of the next chapter. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, I've taught you this many times. Do not let the chapter divisions that are only a few hundred years old distract you from God's word. Look at that first verse. Having therefore these promises... Those seven promises I just gave you, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. A New Testament church can have its own Ichabod judgment by losing God's spirit presence in it. It behooves every member to walk in the spirit and to pray and work for the spirit to stay in our church. Every family head should examine himself, his wife, and his family for God's presence and power and fellowship and joy with them. We do not care to have a church for any other reason or reasons if he isn't with us by his candlestick. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.